0: The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, we jump into a new series today called How to Neighbor, and uh, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Um, if you're in a life group, even if you're not, but in the seat in front of you should be a page of notes that if you want to take some notes on, you're welcome to do that. We do that specifically for life groups if you want to take some notes for discussion this week as you all meet in different places. Um, before we jump in, though, um, I want to mention that it's awesome to celebrate, you know, baptisms in 63 that were baptized this last week. It's really, really fun. But I want to celebrate, too, that 12 of those were at Snohomish, which is our new campus. It's, yeah, you can clap for that for sure. Um, it's only been around eight months now and uh, they baptized a dozen and I, I talked to Andrew because here's the thing, we're, always, we're trying to make sure that our calendars kind of match up what happens at Grove Marysville and at Grove Snohomish and one of the conversations was uh, because it meets, we meet at the Performing Arts Center at the high school in Snohomish, they won't allow you to have a giant potable water container on, on campus like that and so we're like, what are we going to do? And we kind of collaborated and figured out, well hey, why don't we uh, do it over at the Snohomish Aquatic Center? And so um, I was really curious because their services at 10 a.m. The baptisms were at 6 p.m. last Sunday evening. And so when I talked to him, I said, hey, so how many showed up to celebrate those that were getting baptized? Obviously, a dozen baptisms is awesome. And he said there was 160 people there, which is basically everybody there to celebrate the baptisms. And I thought that was cool. And, And so that's worth celebrating. But I also want to be completely transparent and honest. The other part of it is we rented out the aquatic center for two hours. So yeah, it was baptism and then a giant pool party for everybody. So That's what's going on. But I I just want to say this. I really am proud of Andrew and Crystal and Kyle and the whole team there, a bunch of individuals that went from Marysville to Snohomish to help plant that campus. And I want to take a moment and pray for them as well as celebrate what God's doing. So God, thank you so much for all that you're doing, that we together as as a church, one church in a couple of locations, we believe a lot in life change, that it really does matter, that as we mature in our faith, our heart grows bigger for people that don't know Christ. And so I pray for you to continue to work through, Lord, the leadership, and all those that serve and do all that they do to set up and tear down each week at the, at the high school. God, bless them, surround them, encourage them. We pray that as we are together in unity, that God, we're praying and, and, and there to lift one another up. God, thank you for all that you continue to do, even as we celebrate a dozen baptisms there and uh, 51 here, that God, you really are awesome and we just give you the praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen. Well, we're going to jump in here. Like I said, we'll be in Luke chapter 10, but how many in the room today have ever tried to justify yourselves? And, and again, I'll get a little more specific before we get to too many hands raised, but have you ever bought something nice and as someone complimented you, you were quick to tell them you got a really good deal so they didn't think you were being frivolous or extravagant? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, I got these on sale though. I mean, you know, so, um, okay. How about this one? How about doing something that you knew was unethical or, as we would say as Christians, sinful, something sinful, and, and you did it because you knew it would be fun for a moment and you could always repent later? Anybody ever, you know, done that before? Yeah, if we're honest, there's a lot more hands that should be in the air, and I know that. So um, how about this one? And this is one of my favorites because I'm so guilty of this. I don't like it. Okay, um, how about a time when you've been in a fight with your spouse, and, and you're kind of going back and forth, and there's tension, it's not good, and you realize about midway through that you're completely wrong, but you still defend your position, just because, yeah, come on, get your hands in the air, wave your hands in the air, you okay, no, I'm just joking, honestly, it's like, yeah, uh-huh, been there, and it is horrible when you have to repent later, so anyway, but why do we do stuff like that? And it comes down to probably, predominantly, the issue is pride. And, and there's something about pride that when we look at Luke chapter 10 is going to get a guy in some trouble in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read through here uh, in, in just a moment. So if you got a Bible, Luke chapter 10, yeah, it'll be on the screen um, uh, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was uh, attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead." He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think uh, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Father, as we stop and pray... I'm grateful for this text, that there is a lot to be said about what's going on here that that is not just for an expert in the law, but God, for any of us in the room that would say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm a follower of Christ. God, I pray for you to open our hearts, help us realize some of what's really going on that sometimes we can kind of make excuses for or kind of get away with. And yet, God, I pray for, again, your spirit to open our hearts all the way that we can be what you want, we can do what you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. So it it starts out here with this idea, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, if you're aware of the Gospels at all, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and you read through the life of Jesus over and over and over, it was the religious leaders that were trying to trap him in all kinds of ways. It talks about experts in the law, talks about Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders over and over and over trying to trap Jesus. They began to build up such a hatred that they wanted him killed, which gets to the story of the crucifixion, all that stuff. But right here it says, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And what he tests him with is kind of this age-old question that I believe God has put in the hearts of every human being on the planet. And that is this idea, what is eternity? Or if there is an eternity, how do I get to the good part of whatever's after this life? So that's the question he poses. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Keep in mind, Jesus is well aware they're trying to test him. Okay? Keep in mind as well that, that Jesus, over and over, when he's asked questions in the Gospels, doesn't answer with an answer. He, in fact, answers with a question. And this happens over and over as you read through the Gospels. But right here, the teacher says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, quick, quick little side note here. Jesus goes back to the law. Jesus goes back to what they would have had as their holy readings that they can refer to to go, what is the answer to this question? I would encourage any one of us in this room that as you and I have a prayer life and we bring before the Lord God, would you help me with this? Or God what should I do here? What decision should I make? How should I treat this person? You know, where do I go? Whatever that might be, I want to encourage you as I often do to be a reader and studier of scripture. If you want to know God will for your life, I believe the first way that God would give you to direct you is to read scripture and realize he has plans that are designed for your life. Because we're big fans in this church of reading scripture. I say all the time, you need to be a reader of scripture. Can I hear an amen from anybody? And so it's this picture for, for Jesus of going back to, well, what do the Scriptures say? How do you read it? Now, the response is this. Love," He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's going back to what it says in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, about this idea of what it means to be the right kind of person, and the answer is is a prayer that a devout Jew would have prayed two to three times a day, to love the Lord your God. God, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It was a regular prayer, so the answer really was an easy one. They're trying to trap him. Jesus doesn't answer with an answer. He answers with a question, and and the the, the guy uh, gives him this response that's the right response. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Conversation over, right? That should be it. That's the answer. I need to be sold out. I need to love God with all that I am. And by the way, that's a great answer for you and me today. Man, we are called to love God with all that we are and the place in love for God that we have leads us to the cross and confession of, of sin in our lives and the need to come to the Lord through what Christ has done. Love God with all that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, do this and you will live, but that's not the end of it. And like I said, this expert in the law gets himself into hot water and the temperature is gonna get turned up phrase by phrase throughout the rest of what I'm gonna read. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus. Now, stop there for a second. This conversation heads a direction that that this guy would never intend because Jesus has given him nothing. Remember, he's trying to trap Jesus into saying some stuff to stir up the religious crowd. Jesus gives him nothing because all he said is, well, you know, you ask about eternal life, what does it say in the the law? And the guy answers, and Jesus says, good job. That's it. That's it. Gives him nothing. So this guy, basically looking shamed in front of other people, continues on wanting to get Jesus trapped. So he says, Who is my neighbor? Now I want you to do me a favor. Bear with me here. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, This is about to get good. Come on, turn to your neighbor. Okay, this is where it's about to get good. Because Jesus is about to take off his sandals and his you know, outer robe and put on his sneakers and his cardigan. Okay? Here we go. He's about to teach if you know what I'm talking. Anybody with me on this one? Yeah, thank you, Mr. Rogers. Good night. Was it that hard? Okay, but this, this is story time with Jesus. And he doesn't, again, he doesn't who is my neighbor is the question. And Jesus doesn't even get into who my neighbor is. He starts in with this: A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everybody's listening. Everybody's paying attention to what Jesus is saying when he was attacked by robbers. People be going, "What?" Well, OK? They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. And they went away, leaving him half dead. Okay, Jesus is trying to draw in every single person to teach them something they need to understand. So he starts in with this idea that for all of us, we go, that's not right. That's not okay. When we hear stories that are unjust on the news, there's something that that boils inside of us. Like, that's not all right. I want justice to be served. People should not be treated that way. And Jesus is doing that very thing. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him, they walked away, leaving him half dead. Everybody's listening. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. Now, if you want this story just to be a nice little story, they would be thinking, good, the priest ought to do something. The priest is one who serves the Lord, they're a religious leader, they ought to be the one to go and, and, and take action and make this guy better and solve the whole problem. So Jesus brings up a priest. The crowd might hope the priest would do something good. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, dramatic pause. Jesus is just... And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. What? Again, Think about it. He's turning up the temperature as the story goes on. He's trying to create a tension in the hearts of people, and that's exactly what's happening. Nobody should be stripped and beaten and left on the side of the road. I would never let that happen. That's not okay. Oh, good, a priest. Wait, a priest who kept going? That's not all right. He continues. So, to a Levite. Oh, good, a Levite's coming. Levites, as you as look at the Old Testament. They served in the temple. They were servants. They were helpers. They made sure that the Old Testament law could be fulfilled through, through serving the priests and making sure all the duties could, could be done appropriately. Surely a Levite would do the right thing. So two a Levite came by and when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. And the crowd, what is happening here? Why is nobody helping this guy? The temperatures turned up a little more. Now, this is 33, here we go. But a Samaritan, now, for you and I, we're like, big deal. What's the big deal? Understand in context. Israelites did not associate and have friendships with Samaritans. In fact, they looked down their nose on those people, and when Jesus brought up, he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and and this guy was beaten up and left for dead, there's a good chance they were thinking probably Samaritans did that. And so when Jesus says, but a Samaritan, you're talking about like the, the, the pinnacle of the moment here. Blood boiling people frustrated. Oh, now a Samaritan's coming. He's probably gonna kick him, make sure he is dead and keep going. He says, but a Samaritan. As he traveled came to where the man was, and when he saw him, just like the other two, and when he saw him, but it says this, he took pity on him. And it gives us a description in verse 34 of all that he would do. So he sees the plight of this individual and maybe by happenstance the, the priest and the Levite were scared for their lives because what's to say these same robbers that beat this guy are in a block down the road or hiding behind the bushes and they're gonna jump me and so we're just gonna go by on the other side and leave that alone and as long as there's no harm to me, we're good. But this Samaritan who in the same situation shows compassion and the crowd would have been pretty frustrated by this moment. Pretty annoyed at this the direction of the story going. And verse 34 just continues to put salt on the wound. It says, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, a salve for healing. Then he put the man on his own donkey, meaning he walked and this injured man was on his donkey, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out some money. He gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him. He said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. This Samaritan, who, who certain groups look down their nose on, does everything above and beyond in the right way. And this expert in the law is sitting here listening to the story. And you can imagine he's going, oh, no. Story's over. And he turns to the expert in the law. Which of the three of these men did the right thing? Which of these three men was a neighbor to this individual? And the expert in the law is not about to say the priest, the, this is probably the Levite, right? You, he can't it's basically a rhetorical question. He's only going to answer with one answer, and he doesn't even give the dignity in his answer to name the individual as a, the Samaritan did. He wouldn't even name him. He only says the one who had mercy. It's like when your kids are in trouble, and like ashamed, and there's only one answer. I'm sorry, Right? Here's this guy and he's got, you know, Jesus got him. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And what does Jesus say? Gotcha. What does he say? Good job. You did it, man. See, I'm not such a bad guy, am I? That's not what Jesus does. He turns it back to him and says what? For Words, go and do likewise. The story is not just to, to switch a story back on an expert in the law to make him look bad. The story isn't that we would you know, sort of learn about, wow, you know Jews and Samaritans, and boy, they just didn't get along. The story is meant for you and I even today to understand Because the question comes up, where does all this come from? Where did this start? It started with a question. Hey, Jesus, who's my neighbor? See, there's all kinds of tension in the world that you and I live in about this saying. Because when you think about this word neighbor... Or when I say on Sundays, as I often do, the idea that we're, we're, we're called to reach people. We're called to help people see Jesus. That you go back to the Mr. Rogers song. Who are people in your neighborhood? Isn't that it? Anybody hear that song before? The Bert and Ernie I do it like that. Who are the people in your neighborhood? That's <laughs> nice Kermit, Kermit the Frog. I don't know. Okay, just. Well, I tried. Here's the problem. Let's just go neighborhood, and maybe for you it's across the street and Kitty Corner and on the sides and behind you, or maybe. It's in a complex where there's upstairs and there's downstairs and people on the left and the right, whatever that is. Or, or, or maybe it's showing up at work and the people on the left of you at their job and the people on the right of you at their job or down the hall at their job or in the cubicles all around you because you're in that environment, whatever it might be. You're surrounded by people and the great tragedy for you and I is, let's just go with neighborhood, and you say, who are the people in your neighborhood? And all of a sudden, the boxes come out. What do I mean by that? You've got the people in a the box. There's the, the crazy family where the kids are always unruly. That's them. And there's the angry guy who's always mad and uses a lot of bad language, so I have to plug my kids' ears as we ride our bikes by. And there's the dog barkers in the middle of the night, and I don't know why they don't shut it up, and I'm tired of it. And there's the And there's the... And, there's the, and, there's the, and they're all in boxes, and what you and I end up doing is keeping them in boxes and writing them off. That's what we do. They're not like me. I would never let my dogs do that. I would never let my kids. I would never be that kind of, I would never operate like that. Why do they live in a neighborhood if they just hate everybody? Because somehow you're the perfect neighbor. Oh, contrary. What happens is that we don't see people through the lens of our faith. We see people through the lens of our annoyance. We see people through the lens of our filter of how we should do life. They always party and the radio's up too loud all night. And they're down there. and All these excuses we make to keep them in boxes. Don't we, if you say you're a follower of Christ, don't you believe Jesus cares about these people? Don't we believe that the message of communion, the message of the gospel is a message that Jesus died for you and for them? See, some of us have some major work we need to let God do in our hearts. And I'm not saying that like we like to make myself uh, we because it makes it sound good, but I mean you, I mean we. What would it look like for you to love your neighbor, and that be more than a pithy saying that looks good on a T-shirt or a fridge magnet or a bumper sticker, or a phrase you spurt out when somebody is talking weird, "I love thy neighbor!" What would it look like for you to actually do it? What would it look like for you to get people out of their boxes and see through the lens of, "God loves them too?" Because he does. It, as we're walking through this, the question becomes, you know, he, he brings up, you know, who is my neighbor? That's the beginning of the whole conversation for this guy who wanted to justify himself. Who's my neighbor? In a book literally called The Art of Neighboring, the authors open with this chapter one, first paragraph. What if the solution to our society's biggest issues had been right under our noses for the past 2,000 years? When Jesus was asked to reduce everything in the Bible into one command, we read, love the Lord with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. The problem is we've turned this simple idea into a nice saying. And listen to this. They go on to share this story. In 2009, I gathered a group of 20 lead pastors in the Denver area so we could think and dream and pray about how our churches might join forces to serve our community. We invited our local mayor and we asked him a simple question. How can we as churches best work together to serve our community? The ensuing discussion revealed a laundry list of social problems similar to what many cities faced. At-risk kids, areas with dilapidated housing, child hunger, drug and alcohol abuse, loneliness, elderly shut-ins with no one to look after them. The list went on and on. Listen to this. Then the mayor said something that inspired our joint church movement. The majority, and I quote, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated and or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Remember the Samaritan? As he came by the man? What does it say? He went to him and what? Had pity on him. Remember that? Okay. A couple of times in the Gospels, as you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a couple of times in there, it talks about how Jesus was ministering and the disciples and all this stuff. And, and it says that at one point in Matthew 9, it shares this story. There was ministry happening, and, and they were worn out, and Jesus said to them, let's get into a boat. And they went out onto the lake, and they crossed the lake, Jesus wanting some solitary time, just some chill, disciples, whatever. And it says that when they got to the other side of the lake, the crowd who saw Jesus leave literally ran around the lake to get to the other side so that when Jesus gets there, there's a whole crowd. Now, you can imagine Jesus going, are you kidding me? Can't you just stay back there? I'm tired. But what does it say? It says, as he stepped out of the boat, he saw the crowd and he noticed what? That they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he, what? Had pity on them. In the same way that, 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 that Samaritan is more like the Lord than the priest and the Levites that you and I are called to have a level of compassion for people that we would just as soon write off. And yet Jesus loves them. He went on, by the way, in, in Matthew chapter 9 to, um, to say this. Mark 9.36 talked about uh, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Verse 37 and 38 said this, Then he went to the disciples, so you and me today. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. All right, Lord, send out workers. Oh, they're right here? Okay, cool. See, Jesus tells this story, but he also, keep in mind, lived this story. And not only did he live it, but he challenges you and I to live the same story. Everybody repeat after me. Go and do likewise. Everybody, go and do likewise. That we're called to see people through the lens of Christ, not ourselves. That's why we're called to crucify our flesh. And that's not an easy thing. That's not a simple task, especially when some of us have become as jaded as we've become to those around us. Maybe they're in our own families. Maybe we go to work and have to avoid them. Or maybe they live near us and we've written them off and kept them jailed up in a box mentally. God, today, as we just barely scratch the surface of this conversation, once again, my prayer is that our hearts would be open. And it's not an easy thing. And that's our confession today. It's not an excuse, but it's not an easy thing to love people when when there's there's history. Well, it's not just a label, Pastor Nick, it's a lifestyle. I mean, they're doing this and that and they don't like and they call the police, all, all this stuff. God, I pray for all of us in this room to at least be willing today to open our hearts to see differently. That the honest truth is, God, if we held on to our pride, if we want to continue to justify ourselves, I really believe if we really went to the nth degree with that, that we could write off everybody, including our own family, including our kids, our spouse even. Oh, they've annoyed me. Oh, we've gotten angry with each other. Yep, forget it. But God, that's not how you call us to live. That's not how walls come down. That's not how the gospel message spreads. That's not how the message of Jesus ends up mattering to people who stand here in a tank and say, I want to get baptized. I'm a follower of Jesus. It's most often because somebody built a bridge. Father, help us see differently. It's not easy. Help us be humble. Instead of it should be my way. And that radio should be shut off at 8 p.m. And those dogs should. And those kids and that all of it, God. Instead of that, what would it look like to begin to see differently? It's not easy, but I pray you would work in us that we're open to that conversation through your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.